Welcome to Willow Park Church. My name is Pastor Phil and I'm absolutely delighted that you have joined us this morning for worship as we step into the presence of the Lord. I'm so blessed by the opportunity to share God's word and as we continue to unpack the book of Daniel and the important lessons that are in the book and how it speaks to us of today about our personal resilience to keep going, to keep believing, to really be faithful to the call of God in this generation. What a week we've had at Willow Park Church. I am thrilled, thrilled to bits to see the way that our youth department has worked so hard. The Cahoots Lounge. If you know the church well, you know that we have an upper room. And in that upper room, there's a big space. And they have transformed that in a wonderful way. A place where young people can come. They can sit in the lounge area, enjoy uh, slurpees, enjoy connection, all in a safe way. Sit on the sofas. It has a feel of a... Uh, I guess in some respects, a kind of old English manor house or a, I would say an old English pub, but it's full of kids playing games and talking and sat there with their uh, youth leaders. And as I stood there, it brought practically tears to my eyes because uh, to see young people sharing faith, having prayer times, playing a bit of barchi, playing darts. It was so inspiring. And the, the beautiful way that they've decorated the time with the lights of the hanging and the atmosphere, and I guess the word would be ambiance that they've created, has, um, is quite remarkable. And it's something for us as a church to be really blessed by really proud by the way that they did that. I went and sat with Michelle as people were being logged in. They, of course, teenagers have to give their names and addresses and their details so we know who's there, who's there when and how, so that we're able to contact them if there's ever an outbreak or anything like that. And so it was really good just to see them coming in and connecting and talking and greeting each other. And they were reminiscing about, you know, time before pandemic when, uh, when they did things at youth and they were able to do bigger youth program organized events. It had a, it had a real sweet sense of fellowship, of God's presence there at work. And, and it really was amazing. So can I encourage you to keep praying for our staff and the wonderful jobs that they are doing and the way that they are really um, encouraging connection despite the challenging times we're facing with this COVID-19 pandemic. But within that, we see God at work. Uh, it really is amazing. Can I remind you, of course, that we have our spring break children's camp coming up. You'll hear more about that. And we are going to start to pray noon uh, each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday through to Friday at noon and do a noonday prayer time for half an hour online, which you will be able to connect into and enjoy. 
as we make our way towards Easter. We felt it was important that after the success of our 21 days of prayer, that we maintain that deep connection with you as a church family through just, if you're able, to log on at noon and then um, pray with us for half an hour and spend that time with noonday prayer. Well, I'm going to pray right now for you and for your family. I'm going to pray that God really uh, blesses you as you engage in this service. And Jordan's going to come and he's going to lead us in a time of worship. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together online like this. What an amazing gift this is. And Father, I pray that we will thoroughly, thoroughly connect with your presence and your word through this act of worship. Speak to us, Lord, I pray, and minister to us, I ask. We humble ourselves before you and pray, Lord, that you will minister deeply to us. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and thank you, Jordan, for leading us in worship now. Good morning, everyone. We are glad that you can join us. And, and this, this morning as we worship, I want to encourage as you are milling about the house or sitting and watching on TV on your phone. Um, if you haven't yet, be brave to sing a little bit just to... Uh, join along and proclaim God's goodness through your singing. And I know it's like the first time when I was a kid and I finally raised my hands for the first time. It feels like so different and awkward. But as we, even in we're different parts as we worship together, a little bit of beautiful community takes place. Let's sing this song enough. Knowing God is, is more than enough for us.
ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Place ourselves at the throne of God, his goodness, his mercy, his grace. Sitting with him, with others around us all sitting, looking at him, his beauty. Graven on 
Father, we just ask right now 
that you work your miracles in our lives. Even you present with us in our loneliness, in our, in our singularity is a miracle in itself. God, you are the miracle worker. I just pray that you work your love into us. Help us to know the heart of Jesus. Help us to know the beauty of who you are, Christ. As we come to you, understanding that you don't break promises, you walk with us. Father, we thank you so much for that. God, thank you that we can be with you and worship you. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. What a lovely way for us to finish and to enter a time of communion. Communion is that moment where we, as Christians, celebrate And really, it is a beautiful remembrance of all that our Saviour did and the way that the Lord Jesus Christ ministered to people. But beyond that, just ministering to people, he purchased the way of salvation for us. I do see communion as a very profound and holy moment. And maybe you've got needs and maybe you've got anxieties and worries. Things that you are thinking about in your life that are a burden to you. Maybe you need the Lord to come and shape your character, change your habit, make a difference in your life. Well, I've got good news for you. Although these elements may look quite simple... They are so profound. They are so remarkable in what they communicate. How they communicate such life and such goodness of God. We look at the bread and it reminds us of his body. A body that was broken for us. I often remember my time when I was in Jerusalem and I love to go there in my mind and uh, think of the spot, Golgotha. There's a couple of places that have been identified as those spots, of course. Uh, There's a church on one spot and I went into that church where there is a, a large rock. It's in the city and there... Watch pilgrims go and kneel before that rock and go and touch that spot that is historically seen as the place where Christ died on the cross. Whether that is the place or not, I found it very moving because it focused my mind as I looked at that piece of rock behind a glass, surrounded by Incense burning and brass crosses and images of orthodox saints. And for some evangelicals and, and for Protestants, it kind of, we feel, it, we feel uncomfortable in that environment. But I looked beyond the brass crosses and I looked beyond the, um, the images of the saints And I just looked at the rock and I reminded that that on a rock, the cross was lifted up and Jesus' body was, was broken and laid bare 
to save humanity from all the pain. I sat there for several hours in that spot, watching pilgrims come and go from all over the world until I myself was thrown out at the end of the evening as they were closing the church. Kind of liked being thrown out of, of a holy church because I've been sat there for too long. But really the work of the cross, I realised, was not just about that space. The work of the cross was what was achieved in my own heart. That I was condemned, that I was lost, that I was broken. And my gaze into Christ in my life has brought healing through the work of the cross. Well, it's saved me. He paid the price for my sin. He took the punishment for sin. So I want and encourage you to, in your way, stare at the cross and what Christ did as you prepare to take the bread. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves to you again. I look at this wafer and I determine in my life to live the rest of my years for Jesus. I determine that I will follow you, Jesus, until the day I die. You gave everything to save my soul and to give me life. And I determine to give you everything of my life. I thank you for the hands that were pierced, the feet, the side, the crown of thorns on the head. I thank you that for every, every moment on that cross as you moved and gasped for air, you did it out of love for me. Thank you for this bread. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The body of Christ, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him. The sacrifice of animals always took place in the temple. Before that, in the tabernacle. It was a big part of the worship and in the Torah, in the five first books of the Bible, what we call the Pentateuch, the law of the Lord. It describes in detail the sacrifices that were made for the atonement of the sins of the nation, but also for the purification of the location where God would dwell. And when Christ died upon the cross, he became the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
an eternal lamb. That where, as Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and animals could not, could not achieve that goal. The death of Christ achieved that goal that humanity could be beautifully and powerfully reunited with God in salvation. And so, Lord, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. That I am now clean, spotless, forgiven because of the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord. The blood of Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. May you and your family be blessed and know the peace of God upon you. Amen. Well, it's so good to celebrate communion together. And that has been one of the great blessings of this uh, pandemic is that we have focused a lot more on prayer, on communion and connecting with uh, the Lord in that way. It's really wonderful. So right now we're over to the Willow One News where you can know what's going on in our church, participate in the way that you can. And we look forward to hearing from you and what God is doing in your life. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us at Church Online. Here is your family news. We are starting a new daily prayer time this week, happening Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock noon. Join our pastors and other leaders online for a half hour of meeting with God and praying for one another. To find out how to connect, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com prayer. Our monthly all-church prayer gathering will be happening on March 1st at 7 p.m. If you are a part of Willow Park Church, Please join us online for a special night of prayer. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash willow1prayer. We are currently looking for two more elders to join the Willow Park Church Board. We are now accepting nominations and would like to invite you to prayerfully consider who you think would be a good fit to join the leadership of our church. To learn more and to nominate someone to be considered for eldership, visit willowparkchurch.com slash elder. Kids Camp is happening the first week of spring break, March 15th to 19th, for kids age 4 to grade 5. Space is limited, so register today at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. We are also looking for a bunch of volunteers to be small group and station leaders. If you'd like to volunteer, please sign up online as well. Our midweek youth program started last week for grades 6 to 12. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, tell your friends and sign up today. Please note that the times for youth have changed and are split into two grade groups each night. Learn more and sign up at willowparkchurch.com slash cahoots dash lounge. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Well, we have reached chapter six. Yes, the lion's den. 
Daniel in the lion's den. Probably the most well-known story in the book of Daniel. I mean, most people read the first six chapters and then really just avoid 7 to 12 because of all of the imagery. And it's hard to understand. Well, the good news is we are keeping going. We're going to go into chapter 7. We're going to move on. We're going to understand the end of the story that speaks of the most glorious moments, describing the Messiah who arrives, the Messiah who comes. Can't barely wait to get into those last chapters to try and pick our way through the theological significance of the foundation of how those prophetic words truly laid the foundation for the coming of Jesus Christ. Truly made the way and the path for us to understand God's redemptive plan. Of course, of course, we can see the whole of the redemptive plan at work right from the fall all the way through scripture as God prepares us for the moment of the Lord coming. There, born of a virgin, born incarnated into this world. Love that. Love the way. Now I want to start off by saying that the one thing about Daniel now in chapter 6 is that Daniel is probably 85 years old. 85 years old. He's been consistent. He has been that kind of person. I think sometimes people think about Daniel as a kind of uh, steady Eddie. And by that, I mean somebody that is always moving forward. It reminds me of the amazing uh, picture. Now, here I am talking about baseball, and I am not very informed in baseball. So, so be patient with me for a moment. But I have read reports of Don Sutton. 1986, played 22 seasons, was... Uh, inaugurated in the Hall of Fame for baseball pitchers. And yet, in terms of his career, Don Sutton is not described as a Ferrari. No. Don Sutton is described clearly as a sedan. Something reliable, something there, something that does the job, consistent, works hard, he described himself, Don Sutton, that when he turned up for a game, he just did the grind. He did the work. He got in and got involved in the machinery of it. I really do believe that there's a spiritual truth that comes out of Daniel 6 that we're in danger of missing. 85 years old, Daniel is still active. That's beautiful. But he is consistent. He is known as that leader. He's known as somebody who is that sedan that just keeps going and doesn't stop. Now, I kind of think of myself as a sedan and not a Ferrari, particularly in the area of marathons. I have run probably over 10 marathons now. I've done the London Marathon, 26 miles, 44K, four times. I've done the Chicago Marathon. I've done uh, the Vancouver Marathon. I've done some wonderful half marathons, the Birmingham. I even did the Nelson or the Kootenay Marathon. Uh, that was um, quite a hilly one. But the one thing is, I know that I'm slow, but I know that I'll always finish. 
And there I am, all my friends are racing ahead, the Ferraris, they're going for it. And I say, when people say, well, what is your time uh, in marathons? Well, truly, I'm a sedan, not a Ferrari. I just keep going. I keep going for that moment. And I want to explain to you that here in chapter 6, we understand that, that Daniel portrays that consistent loyalty to God and to his role. And the one thing we start to understand as we step into this and the lion's den is that verse 5 says, Finally these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. There's a lot of talk about corrupt politicians. There's a lot of talk about how power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You may know that from Lord Aiken who spoke those words so wisely about how power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there you have in the empire the Medes and the Persians. And by the way, the reason it's Medes and the Persians was that those two people groups joined together to work together and they honoured each other. So in the same breath, they talk about the Medes and they talk about the Persians. And you remember that that one night on October the 12th, the Medes and the Persians came into Babylon. And there Belshazzar was executed and a new government was put in place. Chapter 6 explains that Daniel was part of that new government. And as part of that new government, Daniel was probably a vice president, if you like. One of three that ruled that region. And in all of the political change, in all of the activity, there seems to be a resentment towards Daniel. And there seems to be a group of politicians that want to see his downfall. They want to work against Daniel. They want to come and they want to disrupt. And the one thing that we notice in these opening verses is this in verse 5. Finally, these men said, because they had a conspiracy, they had an idea. They wanted to try and trap Daniel. They wanted to prove that Daniel was unreliable. They wanted to prove that Daniel was somebody who they had to get rid of. They saw Daniel as a political opponent, somebody to injure, somebody to, to find out if there's any corruption, any skeletons in the cupboard any dirty secrets does he have any habits and that we can nail him on that we can see and we can step in and we can say look how corrupt this old politician this old wise man is but the truth is there was nothing he lived his life blamelessly he lived his life in an honourable way he lived his life Consistently, he was spotless. They couldn't touch him. So they devised a brilliant plan. What was this plan? Well, they knew they couldn't get him morally or ethically. They knew that he wasn't taking money out of the till. He wasn't taking backhanders and bribes. But what they did know, that being a Judean young man, 
He has always been devoted to God from his very, very chapter one, where he created time in the way he ate to honor God in his life. And like the great Sudan, he just kept moving. He was reliable. He was consistent. And the area in his life that he was most consistent in is his worship towards God. Isn't that how we want to be? Isn't that how we want to be today? That even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, we are consistently praying. We are consistently seeking God. We are consistently trying to walk in humility and openness and honesty. We are consistently trying to be worshippers of God. Like Jesus Christ himself, who had a rhythm of loving people, had a rhythm of prayerfulness, had a rhythm of opening scripture, had a rhythm of serving the Father and loving the Lord. And Daniel is that kind of disciple of Yahweh who is utterly devoted to being committed to his God. First question of this message is this. How committed are you to your God? How consistent are you with that Bible reading? Are you spotless? Thank the Lord that we are only made spotless through the work of the cross. But Daniel shows integrity. He's spotless. He shows another thing. He shows absolute loyalty. Loyalty. To his role and to the kings that he served and loyalty to his God. So they devised this and they said we can only find a way to get him unless it's something to do with the law of his God. So the royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce. This is brilliant because they have created this edict that Darius is the only one, anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days. That's a little bit weird, 30 days, but except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And Darius agrees. This is difficult for us to understand, and for a moment we have to understand the power of pagan worship. You see, the pagans believed, the Babylonians, indeed the Greeks, indeed the Egyptians, and many other great uh, empires. The Romans, you know that at times they declared that Caesar was God. Now, of course, Caesar himself in his body wasn't a God. He was human. He was flesh. Caesar died. But what they believed was that the spirit of the gods could could come into a leader and there that leader would become a mediator between them, between the earthly world and the spiritual world. So what they're actually saying in this verse is that Darius, they declare, is going to, as it were, 
channel or funnel the power of the gods and he's going to become the door, the mediator of all faith, of all religion, of everybody. That if you happen to worship uh, Mordok, the god of the Babylonians, then then you would worship him through Darius for these 30 days. And Darius would become the mediator. And then if you happen to worship the god Sin, which is the god of the, of the moon, which was a well-known god at that time, and there was some, some competitiveness between Mordok and Sin in the kind of league of gods then you would do that and you would pray to your god Sin or Murdoch. And the way that you would do that is through Darius. Darius became the mediator. Darius became the one. So when they, they burnt offerings or brought an, a, a piece of uh, meat and they, they burnt it and they celebrated their god, they would first celebrate Darius, and they would allow the smell to go up to their God, but they would do it in the name of Darius at that moment. So this is critical to understand because we know that we do not need a mediator between us and God, that there is no other person, there is no other God that mediates between us and Yahweh. And this is completely anti the law of scriptures, of the Torah, of the Pentateuch, completely anti. Brilliant. They have trapped Daniel with the idea of how loyal is he to his God. And they've trapped Darius through his ego. And they've trapped Darius by declaring the law of the Medes and the Persians. So what is going to happen next? Well, you probably know the story. That they said, 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, what did he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards Jerusalem. I love this. The window opened towards Jerusalem. Ah, oh, here is a man. Now, he didn't make a big deal of this. He didn't arrive into the Darius's throne room and say, I really want to protest. We need the right to pray. All of us Jews need to be this way. No, he simply carried on as regular as clockwork. He went to his house. He went upstairs and opened the window. He faced towards Jerusalem and he prayed. And I believe that that kind of loyalty, that kind of devotion, that kind of consistency, that kind of regular depth of a routine that we build within our lives for praying makes the, all the difference to our spiritual life. Makes all the difference to our church. If you get up in the morning and you're found with your Bible open and your children see that and you're praying, that makes a difference. If they know that you go on prayer walks, that makes a difference. If you are consistent over years gathering in a small group and praying for missionaries, that makes a difference. If you are willing 
to gather as many do and pray for revival in Kelowna. That makes a difference. Consistency, loyalty, longevity, commitment to the things of the kingdom of God is what God calls us to do. He calls us all to be that devoted disciple who is willing to build that depth and that strength and that consistency within our lives. That we would be a people of prayer. That we build consistency. Why Jerusalem? Jerusalem had been destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar I made sure of that. The temple had been obliterated. It had been taken to pieces. It was in ruins. Later on, they would return and begin the rebuilding process of the temple and of the city walls under Ezra and Nehemiah. We know the story. It had been prophesied. But at this point, he opens and he prays towards Jerusalem. What does this signify? What does this say about who we are and who Daniel is and what Jesus Christ taught? Let me explain this. He's praying towards Jerusalem that is destroyed. He's praying towards a temple that no longer exists. Why is he gazing towards Jerusalem? Well, because he's praying in such a way that he's expecting God in the future to do something remarkable. He's got an eschatology. He's got a sense of the future. He's got a sense that his, uh, his gaze isn't on the politicians. His gaze isn't on the government officials. His gaze isn't on the corruption. His gaze isn't on the emotions of how he's trying to be framed. His gaze isn't on the mediator, Darius, who becomes the doorway to all gods. No way. His gaze is on what God's going to do in the future. His gaze is on the coming of the new temple. His gaze is on the future things where suddenly we know that one day the temple will be rebuilt and that the nation will be come together again. And out of that nation, his gaze is on future things of God's redemptive power. And the truth is this, friends. Our gaze should be on the things that are coming. Our gaze should be on the kingdom that has come. Our gaze should be towards the new Jerusalem. Our gaze should be looking and knowing that God's sovereign, that God's in control. Where are you looking? Where are you gazing in your life? Are you gazing towards Jesus? Are you gazing towards the knowledge that one day he shall return? Are you gazing towards the new heavens and the new earth? Because you only get through life's problems when you have a perspective of gazing towards Jerusalem. As it were, towards all that Christ has done and all that Christ has achieved and all that Christ will achieve and will do. Where are you gazing? Where you look is where you go. I know that because over two years ago, I was back in England and I was wandering along the side of a canal, a a riverway, 
and on a little towpath. And as I was walking along, I was gazing down, looking at my phone and where you gaze is where you go. And all of a sudden, I was falling through the air and I fell into the water with my on that winter's day and sank into the canal. And I thought, I'm going to die in this water at this moment. And it made me laugh the other week because when it was really cold, I went out for my evening walk and I started to look at my phone for a moment before I switched it off and I lost my bearings and I fell into the ditch. <laughs> I said to Michelle, I, I was walking and I fell. And I ended up in the ditch and I'm lying there in a snow ditch. Some cars are passing me by and I'm thinking, well, this is not, this is not water. It's frozen water and I'm in the ditch. Where you luck is where you go. And Daniel looks towards Jerusalem. And we look towards the coming of Christ. We look towards the, the event the great event horizon when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will come. And he prayed three times a day. We don't know why he prays three times a day. It's probably connected to um, Psalm 55 when it does actually talk about three times a day. But we know in, uh, in Psalm 119, it talks about the different times of praying daily, uh, seven times a day. So there is a precedence in scripture for regular prayer and regular seeking God. And, and we're, of course, starting that. Uh, we're starting regular prayer on, at noon every day. And we're going to build on that of where you can log in and we will pray. One of the pastors or a volunteer, we will, uh, will pray for 12 noon and it will be 12 noon, that time of prayer. And so, notice the thing here, that we don't read about Daniel's turmoil. We read about Daniel's prayer life. You would think that he would be in absolute turmoil within his heart. Because the spies are gazing at him and watching when he's going to break the law of the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel is gazing towards Yahweh and Jerusalem and his God. I love it. And so often he could have been gazing and looking for all of the kind of homeland security of the Medes and the Persians who are watching out to see if he's breaking the law. He's not looking for them. He's not looking for the spies. He's not looking for the group of people that are trying to frame him. He's looking to Jerusalem. He's looking in prayer. There's no turmoil in him because he serves the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And of course, they get him. And three times a day he got down and he prayed, just as he had done before. He's that sedan. He's that guy that just keeps pitching, not breaking every record, but just 21 seasons, like Don Sutton, just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. How I wish that so many of believers would be like that. One of the prayers I prayed for all of my life has been simply, 
from when I was a teenage boy and finding Christianity was simply, Lord, may I be faithful to you until the day I die. Seriously, that was my prayer. Faithfulness to God. And Daniel shows that absolute faithfulness. Of course, when the king heard about this, he was greatly distressed. He loved Daniel. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. But his efforts failed because now we have a battle between two laws. The laws of the Medes and the Persians and the law of God. And Darius, of course, went with the order of the Medes and the Persians. And so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. This is what we call in ancient history, trial by ordeal. The worst kind of trial by ordeal is from the Middle Ages. You would be familiar with this. She's a witch. And that sounds a little bit like a Monty Python sketch. She's a witch. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're a witch. No, I'm not. Throw her in the river. And of course, in the Middle Ages, on occasions, they would take a poor, uh, usually slightly strange individual, and they would call them a witch or a wizard, and they would throw them into the river. And the idea was it was trial by ordeal. If they sank and they died then they were a witch. And if they floated and they lived, then God had justified them. Very, very strange. And there's a sense of trial by ordeal here. That Darius is actually saying, well, in this case, if your God is with you, then your God will protect you. If your God is there, then this trial of ordeal, God. It reminds us of chapter 3 that Jordan preached on about the men in the furnace. And there the angel of the Lord or that, that fourth figure appeared in the burning furnace. That, and I want to remind you that whatever ordeal you are going through, whatever trial you are facing, the truth is this, is that God is going to get you through that ordeal. God is going to get you through that trial. God is with you. God loves you. Gaze towards Christ. Gaze towards Jerusalem and you will get through the ordeal. And Daniel ends up, ends up there in the lion's den. May God rescue you. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before your majesty. In fact, it says on in the scripture, if you read the whole of the chapter, which I hope you will, is that it says there was not even found a scratch on Daniel. That reminds me of chapter 3 when it said they did not even smell of the furnace. God so protected, God was so with him that God was there that there was not a scratch on him. There was not the smell of the furnace because when God rescues, God takes us and God is with us even through the most darkest of times. 
There's three things I want to make comment on as I start to close. First of all, we realize that Daniel was always willing to submit himself to the ultimate plan of God. That God had a plan. He had a plan for his life. He had a plan for what he was called to do. And Daniel knew about that plan. Secondly, God protected Daniel. And I want to remind you that God's always got a plan for our lives. Let me say that again. God's always got a plan for our lives. And that secondly, God is going to protect us. That God is there. That God is with you. That God and his angels are with you in the lion's den. And you may feel like you are in the lion's den at this precise moment. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a financial challenge. Maybe it's a relationship challenge. Maybe you feel like you are lost in life and you need a new career. Let me tell you, there is a plan. There is a plan. There is a purpose. There is protection. And even in the middle of the Babylon and the middle of the great Persian empire where Daniel now sat, that we know that he was able to prosper under the pressure of that circumstance. And I want to encourage you I want to encourage you that whatever we face, we can find a peace with the Lord that causes us to prosper. Causes us to prosper. I don't just mean financially. I just don't mean uh, in that way, in that kind of one-dimensional way of physical and money prospering. No, you can prosper in your relationships. You can prosper in your prayer life. You can prosper with your relationship with God. We've just got to build consistency. We've just got to say our loyalty is to God. We are going to be that people. Probably the hardest verse in one sense, and before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. The accusers, the political powers, their wives and their children were thrown into the lion's den. And to make the point, before they reached the floor, the lions came up and ripped them to shreds. That's a hard. I like to think of this in some respect. Of course, this was quite common in the ancient world. That your actions of your lead man, the actions of the leader within the family, affected the whole of the family. And that was to do with revenge. And it was to do with so much more. And, and that the family would feel the effects of the disloyalty and the actions of those leaders of the family. But that's not so far away from the truth, is it? We know that when a family member who is leading, we know that when a man decides to go a certain direction and makes choices that affect their family, we know that when... Somebody steps into pornography. We know that when somebody chooses infidelity, we know when they choose foolish decisions to do with their morals or they choose and to do something unethical 
or they choose to live in anger or jealousy or hatred, we see how that can affect whole families. The fruit of their actions, it's like it gives the lion, as, as Peter says, he is like a prowling lion looking to devour us. And there is this idea that when we allow the enemy to grab a foothold in our lives, when we allow the enemy to take a part of our life and gain legal license, if we're not careful, that can affect our whole family through our actions, through our bad choices. And let me say this, through our sin, our choice to sin and to create chaos in our families result in sometimes families I look at them, it's like they've been torn to pieces by the lion of darkness and they're left in smithereens because of those choices. The beautiful thing is, is that this story is a story of redemption. It's a story that points us towards Christ. It's a story about two laws. Shall I follow God's law or shall I follow the law of the Medes and the Persians? It's a story about the cost of discipleship. Like in Acts chapter 5, when the disciples say, you've thrown us into prison, but is it, what, what, what is this about? Should we obey you or should we obey God? We should always obey God. We should always serve God as number one. It's about serving and honoring God within our lives. And at the end of the story, We see that Darius says, for he is the living God and he endures forever. Not Darius, you notice. He's no longer the mediator. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion's den. Stay with me. For the next three minutes, this story points towards Christ. How does it point towards Christ? Well, I want to remind you that Christ was spotless and blameless. He came into the world and he lived in a way that reflected his loyalty always to the Father. Even though he was placed in the tyranny of the Roman Empire, he sought to reflect the heart and the mind of God. And then the leaders pulled together a plan to frame him and to charge him. And the charge was that this Christ, this Messiah, would be charged that he was a false king of the Jews, that he was leading the people to a new kingdom, that he was working against the establishment. Of course, he was. But his consistency was that he wasn't in turmoil because he was always looking towards God's great plan, the great Jerusalem plan, the great plan of redemption. He was always found on the hillside, praying towards what God was going to achieve and the way that God was working. And then they worked against him. And even like Pilate looked at Jesus and said, we shouldn't kill this man. Find a way to not do it. Find a way. 
And in the same way that Darius was like, well, what are we doing to this? But everything worked against Jesus. And they took Jesus and they threw him, as it were, into the lion's den. And as they threw him into the lion's den, as it were, sin and death ripped him to pieces. And he was left for dead. But on the third day, he rose out of that den, having defeated the lion of death, the lion of sin, the lion of separation. He defeated the powers of sin and death. And he came out unscathed on that resurrection morning. Friends, there's always redemption. You've just got to put your trust in Jesus and know that the plan of salvation, you've got to choose to have consistent loyalty, consistent lifestyle, consistent prayer. You've got to choose God's plan, God's protection and look for God's prosperity. There is a cost in discipleship, but it's a beautiful cost. Give your whole life to Jesus as Jesus gave his whole life for you. This is an encouraging word. And Father, I pray that you will bless us now. And as we finish, may you come and give us the courage to be consistent in our belief and in our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you 12 o'clock Monday for consistent prayer. Bless you. And please, thank you for joining us. And may the Lord Be close to you today.